0: Guess what? What? You're an author.
1: Oh, my God, you're right. You wrote a book. I did write a book. And it's called Stop Blaming Mothers and Ignoring Fathers, How to Transform the Way We Keep Children Safe from Domestic Violence. Right. And it's available on Amazon, Amazon, Kindle. It's soft cover. It's hardcover. Yeah. And it's a book that lays out six myths that really dive into these gaps in the field that the safety of the models is meant to fix or transform mm-hmm. talks about gender double standards it has interviews with practitioners it has and interviews survivors. survivors and practical things you can do but it really kind of is it's good for anybody who knows the model or is new to the model and uh, i'm really excited about All it right. it only took two and a half years to do okay All well right.
0: go get the book on amazon.com Amazon. okay we're back
1: we are back
0: So I'm kind of jealous. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately, and they have theme songs.
1: They do, don't they?
0: It's kind of like having a cape. Yes. Like Superman.
1: Would you like to have a theme song? I'm kind of jealous. Would you like to have a theme (laughs) song? Should we? Should we go? I
0: don't know how to procure a podcast theme song. I don't either. There must be a podcast theme song-er professional. Yes.
1: Yes. So this is, as as those uh, listeners to this have uh, learned, this is low-tech. Yes. We do this out of our living room. We do. The the dog is between us and the couch.
0: And this is partnered with a survivor. That's right.
1: And I'm David Mandel, Executive Director of the Safe and Together Institute.
0: And I'm Ruth Jones Mandel, and I am the Communications and e-Learning Manager.
1: And um, just before we jump into the topic for today, just to remind people that you can always check us out at safeandtogetherinstitute.com or go to our virtual academy for online courses at uh, academy.safeandtogetherinstitute.com.
0: Yeah, and just before we dive in, too, you know, we always try to preserve sort of the intimateness of this podcast um, because really we believe that the personal is practice um, and practice is personal, particularly when you're dealing with domestic violence, um, with child abuse, um, and with trauma from survivors. And so. Um, I'm hoping that everybody at home is, is enjoying a little bit of their family and a little bit of summer if you're in North America. I know it's wintry in, in Australia right now. Um, but, you know, just I hope that everybody's safe and everybody's well and um, that you're able to connect with your loved ones and that uh, you have some enjoyments with the closeness of your family that you're experiencing right now, because it can be very difficult. And it can, and it can be very times. close. Yes. It can be very close. Yes.
1: And um, and just for those of you who are joining us for the first time, this podcast came out of uh, Ruth and my uh, intimate, personal conversations about life and the field, and Ruth's experiences and my experiences, and mm-hmm. and we wanted to carve out a uh, a space. That might give people more permission, professionals particularly, to disclose and yes. talk about their uh, experiences as a survivor, and also to explore the the different terrain in a more informal way around course of control, around change, around mm-hmm. partnering with survivors. Um, and so uh, uh, we're on our, I think, our nineteenth episode. I believe we are. And yeah. so this one is about. Um <coughs> excuse me. Um, this one is about. Collusion and manipulation Yeah um, By by people who choose violence and abuse So
0: this episode The intent is to be um, A template, a behavioral template Really Because we're going to give a lot of examples we, You know, we train Professionals in diverse sectors All of which are touched upon By domestic violence And by child abuse And by coercive control um, And so Many of those systems have never been trained in how to work with a person who chooses violence. We will interchangeably use person who chooses violence and perpetrator. Um, And so one of the problems is, is that from my perspective as a survivor, many professionals are easily manipulated by perpetrators because they don't know what perpetrator patterns of behaviors look like because they're disconnected from the reality of the survivor and they're not in communication with that adult survivor sometimes. Um, And because they have been trained in modalities which sometimes hide domestic violence under a cover of pathology. Of mental illness or substance abuse and so people are not held accountable for their choices um, and so i wanted to really give people a template a behavioral template for diverse sectors for how to deal with men who are violent or just people who choose violence and not be manipulated by them
1: it, you know and this is going to draw is uh, the starting point for this conversation is going to go back into my past, maybe 20, 25 years ago, where I was part of a team of people who started a men's behavior change program, or it's called batter intervention programs in the U.S. and perpetrator intervention programs in other places. There's there's, uh, terms all over the world that get used for these programs. They're really designed to help men stop being abusive and controlling and violent to their partners. Right,
0: and these programs have been fairly controversial in regards to, to funding... Because many of them were poorly formatted, and many of them fail. Um, And fail to to take into account the range of of perpetrators and the range of their violence. And many fail to really look at the patterns of behavior over time. And many behavior change programs are divorced from the victim in the sense that the, the victim doesn't have a lot of input. Into whether the person who's been abusing them right. is still abusing them. There's no context for that. So I don't know if you can just speak about sort of the the difference in behavior change programs because many people hear behavior change, who have been in the in in particularly in women's sector work or in refuge work, and say, oh, that just doesn't work.
1: Right. And I think it's 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 such a diverse topic, and I think it's it's really important not to paint. Men's behavior change pro- programs with a one whole, brush. One lens, with one right. brush, right? And so you have, like, we recently did a, a, a white paper. We did a collaborative paper with the Caledonian um, program model in, out of Scotland, which is an amazing model that is embedded in it um, uh, not only the work with, with the perpetrators, the people who choose violence, but embedded structurally is, is a contact person, a person who works with the adult survivor. Right. And somebody works with the kids, Mm -hmm. And so you have programs like that that are very connected, that are very connected to the survivors, um, that are really models, I think, for really good work. Caring Dads is another one like that, Mm -hmm. where they include case management, in addition to working with men who who have been abusive to their children, um, men who are also domestic violence perpetrators. Mm -hmm. They very specifically include in their program Mother Contact and case management. You know, so I think you have these programs out there that are designed really well, and they're not always used well by their communities. You know, where there where there's good communication, where there's support from the courts, because the research that I that I look to says you, these things need to be embedded in systems. Right. That they can't hang out in space by themselves. And mm-hmm. one of the things we said in our recent white paper is you can't outsource accountability. You can't sort of say that these things are going to fix that and that's going to be it. Mm-hmm. Then you need to really look at this and say, you know, how is this connected up to um, judges, magistrates, systems, child protection, and, family and how court. family yeah. court? How are these people talking to each other right. about what's happening in that uh, with that man and in that program?
0: Right. And so, you know, it, classically in the United States, many of the behavior change programs or BIPs—we can just say BIP from now on—have. Um, really had holes and gaps in them that are significant. And there is a program that I love in Australia that is a residential perpetrator program, which removes the person who's choosing violence from the family home, allows for the the adult victim and children to stay in their home, and it is a holistic and comprehensive behavior change program. Um, I believe that it does have to be court mandated, and and does it? Is there a non mandated? I type think there like? may
1: be both kinds, but I don't know. I don't okay. remember what I, what so I learned you, about it.
0: So you know, one of the things you preserved when you were doing behavior change program is you preserved the ability of uh, people who chose violence to come to your program without having to have a court
2: mandate.
1: Right, and, and that's we, very important. And we felt like those really important because it felt like otherwise you're putting poor men. Uh, black and brown men, indigenous men in a position particularly of having to get arrested to get help and I think right. that's wrong. Right. I think we need more community responses and and, and our, our choose to change material is one of those attempts. Right. Now, in addition to the men's behavior change programs, I think there are these wider cultural narratives mm. around excusing people who choose violence, particularly men, for their behavior and, mm-hmm. And one of the things that when I was doing men's behavior change, I was part of a team of five originally. There was three of us um, that we went under the rubric of the Nonviolence Alliance. And we produced written material. We, pr- we did groups. Mm-hmm. Um, we did training. And um, as part of that, a document was produced. And I, I, if I remember correctly, John Went was one of my, my friends and colleagues, was the primary author of this, but it's got kind of the, the, the letterhead of the business on it. Um, called nine ways to collude with abusive men. All right, let's and this do it. was this was um, obviously uh, it wasn't meant as a, a how-to manual, <laughs> but how <laughs> not <laughs> to do manual. I, like it would go and go. And this okay, was focused focused
0: towards child protective <laughs> services any professionals. Any we professional. were
1: we were training substance people, mm-hmm. probation. You know, and, and so for me, any focus on men's behavior change programs cannot be divorced from the other professionals and other people right. in the community having contact or working with men mm-hmm. who are abusive because um if they don't understand these things they can easily be split off. I mean one of the ways that perpetrators have so much power is they split people. They tell people one story. They present one way to other people mm-hmm. uh, and they get them mm-hmm. on their side or at least right. neutralize them in, in sort of their
0: or prejudice them towards yeah, the Yeah,
1: in terms of being able to hold them accountable. And so, mm-hmm. uh, so John, who is the primary author of this, came up with these, these nine statements. And I, we can talk about them. And I haven't looked at them much in the recent time. And, and we unearthed them together. Uh, well,
0: I tweeted them out a couple of months oh, ago. Oh, did you really? I did, okay. That with with said, this is a historical <laughs> look at the progression of the model. Um, right. So, and these, these are great. So, yeah, so let's. Let's dive into the nine ways to collude with uh, perpetrators. And what I would love is to have some really good examples of how that looks in different settings. So,
1: so the the first one is I actually like him. Right, and and you know it's it's absolutely true that some people who choose violence are very charming.
0: Many people who choose yeah, violence, yeah, very
1: charming and um, and very uh, likable, both with their family members. And in public, I mean, mm. and, and sometimes one of those things is true, and not the other one, you know. And it can it it can uh, it can show up in slightly different ways. Right. But 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 a lot of times people seem to think, and this is a little bit the Disneyfication of of sort of of, of, of evil. evil. <laughs> well, it's it's sort of this idea that that we we want to see people who are pleasant to us, we like them, and we can't think they've 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 done poorly to other people in other situations. Right. Um just like, you know, sort of people in Disney are presented who are good presented as handsome and, you know, people who are evil are presented in an right. ugly way, which is we also have, kind of <laughs> connects back to racism as well. Right, if we exactly, could go there we exactly. go there as oh, we yeah. go there as well.
0: People are complex and contradictory and and that was something that we learned from this, you know, document, uh I don't know if we can mention the document, but it's an aboriginal document and, right. and both of us loved that. Right. Because we tend to have in the United States sort of this very black and white thinking about who's a perpetrator and who's not a perpetrator, right. and what that looks like, right. and that's not real.
1: Well, this is where stereotypes about a uh, black man in the U.S. being angrier, being more violent—you right. uh, right. know—where there is racial stereotypes really also um, kind of play a role in that, because uh, right. that will affect how people interact with with somebody. But I think you know, one is. One way to thwart that is to keep that focus on behaviors. Yes. Don't um, trust your senses. Don't trust your personal experience. Don't make judgment on your personal experience. And I think when I did men's behavior change programs, it was something I tried to remind myself over and over again, which was how I interacted with him, how he treated me, um, whether I liked him or not, had zero bearing on his dangerousness Mm -hmm. or his history or his pattern of behavior or what he might do in the future. Right. And so I think one part of the, when you're asking for behavioral things, that's one thing. The second thing is is if you experience somebody who you know has a history of choosing violence as likable, think about what that means for the survivor. Because what, what she's watched happen, right, is other people like him, mm-hmm. him act differently with her and okay. the kids. Yeah. And feel gaslit, feel crazy, feel oh, feel yeah. distance. It's a very,
0: that's a very crazy-making feeling. Right. I think right. I can speak to that 100% right. of experience. Um, and you know, one of the things that survivors hear all the time from both family members and friends and professionals is, "He's such a nice guy." He's a nice guy, or he's a he's a funny guy, right? Or you know, he's a complex. Oh, right. he's a complex guy. You know, we all have... I think we all want to protect that place where we all have behaviors behind the public eye that we right. may not feel comfortable displaying to others and that may feel really um, on the edge to us of, right. of just not good, you right. know? And so we want to protect people in their private moments right. of failure. Right. But if you have a survivor telling you that the behaviors of the person they're with are frightening and controlling and damaging and potentially physically damaging as well. Right. <clears throat> you have to believe people, and then you have to gather that behavioral information from multiple sources, from the survivor, from the right. children, from family members, from prior records. Um, so, yes, don't be duped.
1: And the second thing I think about <clears throat> when you think about... Um, liking somebody who chooses violence, you know. So the first one is remember that this is maybe part of the gaslighting experience. The second part is that if you see good parts in that person, intelligence, charming, mm-hmm. uh, kindness to others maybe, um, they may be real things that, that right. the, the other person, the survivor was attracted to at some point yes. And makes their feelings complex. Yes. I I wrote a blog piece a few years ago, which said that one-dimensional views of of people who choose violence hurt our relationship with with survivors. survivors. Yes, they do. Because they move us into a really quickly judgmental position. Like, why doesn't she get it that he's so bad? And like, why doesn't she leave him?
0: You know, I remember being come at that way, actually, by a couple of really well-meaning friends, and it totally shut me down. right? And in fact, using the word abuser and abusive was what shut me down in the first Uh place. Because... Those words felt so final and so black and white, and didn't represent the whole personality right. of the person. That it, it 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 felt unfair. Right. And then over time, I was like, "Well, these behaviors are abusive. This is right. being this an is abuser. It. You know, in this context, I'm being abused by a person. Right. Therefore, that person is abusing right. me. You know, so it is very difficult for survivors." Uh, To come, have somebody come at them in that way. They do want people to see the goodness in their partner and the good parts of their partner, because generally, a lot of survivors are truly empathetic people who love and care for other people and want them to be happy and well. And that's kind of the that's how that's how people who choose violence really kind of trap them with their goodness and their loving kindness, and then systems take that goodness and loving kindness and turn it into a, a pathology, failure to protect a failure. <laughs>
1: and this is where uh, you know we would say but i would we're say we're told to be that yeah. way
0: we're told to fight for our relationships that's right well women in a lot of cultures a lot right.
1: of cultures women are specifically entrusted with the peace in the home and and of responsibility for relationships and right. and and the the health of the family unit right and so and, if we give and, up too
0: soon and we walk away where yeah, you do, haven't yeah, yeah, done your job. job yeah haven't done your job that's right' it's, it's impossible situation. and i would
1: always say that um, to professionals i was training or coaching that it's it's okay for a survivor to say she likes her partner or she loves him even usually right. i would say like it's okay don't don't judge her if she says she loves him because right. loving him doesn't mean that she doesn't understand the danger doesn't right. or isn't Thinking the behavior is bad or harmful, I have harmful. seen
0: people call survivors stupid, right? And and you know, and then and then blame, and then say, well, you're you're colluding with this violence. You're doing this to yourself. It's really horrible to watch, right? Actually.
1: And they're often missing cues of really how or clear she's being about. No, that's not okay, right? And I wanted to get help, or I'd like to get back together with him, but I'd like him to change, right? All right, so we're only on the first one of nine. All
0: right, let's keep going.
1: We'll keep going, right? Uh, he's a victim. You know, and, and, and I think this is really uh, an important one because we, we work with, We w- I know from working with a lot of men who have who've chosen to be violent, who have been abusive, that they have been victimized in their life yeah. somewhere along the way, whether it's the, the guy I worked with who was sexually abused as a child right. or the, the, the guy I worked with who, who, who witnessed his, his father or his stepdad being violent to his, his mom. Or whether it was somebody who dealt with, you know, their entire life around racism right. um, and trauma, other forms of of, other of, forms expo- of you know, whether right. it's it was it was community violence, whether it was uh, seeing a parent killed.
0: Then there's, uh, you know, soldiers who have gone and right. then they have PTSD. You know, we don't throw humans away. Right. And so in our quest to love those people who have been damaged by others we also don't need to be abused right but we can but we can love and assist them to to the best that's reasonable and responsible f- for our well-being um, and i think that baked into a lot of our criminal justice responses is a sense that people are very disposable mhm Um, And I think that's why we we just really do a crappy job at domestic violence response. So, you know, this is part of that.
1: I think this is um, where people need to lean into both-hand thinking, Mm -hmm. that somebody can be a victim, can have been abused, and could also be choosing to be uh, abusive or controlling now. And and one of the trickiest scenarios was... um, being presented as a supervisor with a case where somebody came to me and said, "Well, the guy, we talked to the guy and he he cried so much about what his <laughs> kids were going through and 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 talked about how he went through things like that as a kid and how he didn't want his kids to go through that
2: mm-hmm.
1: and 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 I could feel that counselor kind of pulled towards that guy and I said, "Did was he crying about uh, feeling bad for the harm he did through his behaviors?" And right. they were like, "No,
0: right, yeah."
1: He was doing this identification with the kids, but not identifying with the, the abusive choices he was making. that
0: he was the perpetrator.: That's right: that he was making That's the right. Pain. And, and, right. And
1: while I could understand that could be a wrenching thing to face, yeah. if you promised yourself as a kid, I'm not going to be like my dad or like my stepdad or right. that, that just seeing the victim side of the equation for him wasn't going to help him be any different.
2: We'll be back after a quick break.
1: Before you listen to this great episode of Partner with Survivor, we'd just like to tell you about a powerful new practice tool the Safe and Together Institute has launched. Our perpetrator pattern mapping tool has been available for 10 years, but now it's available for the first time in a web-based version. What it does is really help you map perpetrators' patterns of behavior onto child-family functioning, talk about its intersections with mental health, substance abuse, and other issues, address intersectionalities, worker safety, all in an easy-to-use online package that protects the confidentiality of your information and lets you wrap it all up in a neat little package, basically, to print it out and to kind of document all those different pieces of information. This is a tool that can be used by both survivors and practitioners, and for the very first time, it's available immediately online without any other prior training.
0: The training is embedded in this powerful practice tool so that teams uh, that have not been trained in Safe and Together can immediately begin mapping in an effective way.
1: That's right. It's like having a Safe and Together coach in your back pocket is what I like to say. There you go. So we really encourage you to go to our virtual academy, academy.safetogetherinstitute.com. Check it out. You know, you can subscribe to it immediately or you can check out a free demo version for 30 days. So please reach out to us and try this new tool. Now enjoy this great episode of Partner with Survivor.
0: Right, and one of the reasons that, you know, this is domestic violence practice with a child protection focus is because many, many, many people who choose violence can amend their behaviors for their children but won't do so for a partner. That's right. And that's real. That's real. Because they see that it, the, the harm that they're inflicting on their children and some of them will really change because of that. And some, you know, won't. And that's a right. reality too.
1: And I think it's... it's, it's um, professionals can really get in trouble and collude with this because they could see that um, his... Behavior. Hold on a second. We're having a dog issue right now. <laughs> you know, it doesn't happen very often. There we go. But the dog just decided to. He's a hundred to turn
0: around. 120
1: hundred twenty pound Rhodesian Ridgeback that thinks he's a head of my lap. he's a he's a lap dog and and he just decided he had to turn around.
0: He and needed mommy.
1: That's right. And okay. so, so um, yes. Uh, and, and so I think that a lot of times that um, people may play into this narrative that that the kids are the quote-unquote innocent victims mm-hmm. and um, that the adult survivor is somehow a co-creator of their domestic abuse. Right. And I think that really can really be another way we collude with...
0: It is very difficult for people who are embedded in that thinking to let that go. So I think maybe a great little explanation of, of how to unwind that inside yourself would be wonderful.
1: Well, it's a really simple thing, which is that um, understanding that survivors... Or victims of domestic violence aren't aren't going to be perfect people. Yeah. That they're going to have their own issues, their own history, their own problems, right. and that none of that is an excuse for somebody else to abuse them. Right. It's it's really that simple. So her drug addiction
2: mm-hmm.
1: isn't an excuse for him to abuse her.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we would often kind of ask people to question their own values, right. you know, and even really look at the reality. What if you came home and uh, found your partner passed out because they had they had drunk too much or, or done some other drugs, and a kid crying right. soiled in a in a crib. Right. It, it makes complete sense to be upset, scared, angry, angry. yeah,
0: resentful, maybe hurt, Steak- resentful, yeah. right. All these yeah. things,
1: all those things, make sense in the emotions. We have to be able to separate that out from this idea that 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 acting abusively to that person at that point, it would be somehow justified right. and okay. Right. It doesn't mean, it up, does, it doesn't mean you
0: get to start kicking the crap out of the person laying right. on the ground and punching them and screaming and yelling right. you know, profanities at them and telling them you know, how disgusting they are.
1: And the he's a victim uh, collusion framework also really minimizes how many people out there, and I think it's more the majority than the minority, right. who grew up with abuse. Yeah or have been victims of institutional racism, let's say, mm-hmm. or have been vets traumatized by, mm-hmm. by, by, by battle theaters and, and, and things they've seen and, and done, actually, that it does a disservice to them, those people who aren't abusive, right. to say, oh, there's a one-to-one correlation between he's a victim...
0: And he was abused. He was abused.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so I think keeping that clarity... But that that there's these they they might have some linkage, but they're independent variables. Mm-hmm. Uh, is important. Okay, so that's the second one. The next one is is uh, is she's the perpetrator. Um,
0: yeah, let's talk about Amber Heard. Oh really? You <laughs> want to go there? I don't like <laughs> talking about cards. Talk tri- I know you uh, don't, I'll, don't I'll like to talk c- about c- card event. events. I don't. And I have been following. I have been following the trial, and I I did. Uh, sort of look at the, the progression of the evidence and and how they were cross-examining her and had some interesting conversations with friends um, because one of them said, well, it seems that she was a perpetrator. And, and the, ev- the the cross-examination was interesting because it's a fairly classic um, strategy. It's so predictable that it's almost prosaic right, at right, this point. Right. Um, That you will have behavioral content of one person who, over time, has engaged in violence and coercive control and threatening behavior towards uh, another adult. And then you will have a couple of instances where that adult lost their cool and started throwing pots and pans because they had had enough or defended themselves physically from the violence. And then people will call that person a perpetrator. Right. And so we don't... Measure and understand contextually right. how certain behaviors over time are a pattern of behavior, and other behaviors are really just trying to break free from that pattern, or draw a boundary with that person, or defend oneself. Right. And we call it we call it abuse. Right. And it's crazy. Right.
1: I think this is where the the safety of the models, perpetrator, pattern-based approach is so important because you know if if that case got presented to me in a, in a in a work setting what Mm -hmm. i would say is tell Mm -hmm. me about each person's pattern of course control and actions taken to harm the kids right and then we would lay out just on a piece of paper let's say the facts around each person and i think a lot of times people will want to fall to it's a dysfunctional relationship or Mm -hmm. or the couple is Mm -hmm. uh is high conflict and and these are Mm -hmm. all these jargony terms um. that that are um, can really get in the way of understanding what's going on. Right. And so when you look at this this perpetrator pattern-based approach, it helps you, and you do it that way, it helps you separate that out. And you'd see this long list mm-hmm. for Johnny Depp. Here you've got me talking about the current Sorry. events. <laughs> and then you'd get this short list for Amber Heard. And you look at it, and most people would take a common sense approach. You say, okay, are they equal in their in their abuse and their control? Right. No. right. What difference has that made in the impact? And people will be able to lay that out and yeah. then describe that. And all of a sudden, what we found in most professional settings, most people, mm-hmm. unless they've got some really embedded bias, get it. This is not equitable. This is not equal. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you label both people as 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 perpetrators, when one person is engaged in a long list of right, behaviors and, right. and one person is engaged in a couple, right. and those have been you know look defensive,
2: mm-hmm. that
1: you really have a uh, a wiping away out of accountability.
0: And not only that, there, there, there's a pretty consistent reality that uh, many perpetrators will taunt, torture, and abuse their victims and want them to be physically violent back to them because then they've got the dirt on them right. and they can say no you're abusive too and i can approve uh, it I, and I, if you I, ever report me i'm going to report you for abuse and, and it's, it's again right. so common that it's prosaic that, at this point. that's right
1: and this is why the concept of course of control and understanding it being connected to entrapment right is so important to understand because that entrapment that sort of um i will do this and i have this over you and this is what i'm willing to do yeah um, uh, it, it is so common, and it was a case I was just presented recently where somebody was had a drinking problem, a survivor of a drinking problem. That was real.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Her partner gave her drugs, gave her booze.
0: Which and, people should be outraged about. Right,
1: and then <laughs> acted in a provocative way towards her. And then when she um, uh, responded angrily,
2: mm-hmm. videotaped her, yeah. just that. Right.
1: And over and over again, we hear stories context, about right. that around sort of perpetrators videotaping or setting up things and and the scenarios are often uh again very commonly they leave out they leave out what happened before
0: well i think because we've come from this incidence-based right approach where it's like oh there's one instant in incidence of violence or there's isolated this or there's isolated that therefore Based off of that one incident, I can say you're an abuser. Right. Instead of taking the whole context and the whole pattern of behavior. And I think that that's self-protective for a lot of professionals because you want to leave space for that place where somebody... And, and this is almost impossible for me to imagine, to be quite honest with you. As a survivor, this scenario is impossible for me to imagine. If somebody were all of a sudden to just beat the crap out of their family member but had never been violent before. You know, a lot of people want to be like, well, that was just a one-time incident. Right, that right. doesn't happen. Right? If somebody is willing to beat the crap out of their partner,
2: right.
0: you can be guaranteed that there were years of subtle coercive control right. and abuse. Right. Maybe not physical harm, right. but we have such a physical lens, we wait until people are harmed for us to say the word abuse. We we really are bad at course of control and the more um, insidious torture like emotional forms right. of abuse.
1: Right Well I think it's I think it's um, really interesting when you think about this that um, people want to look at uh, this as uh, I don't know, they have a bias. I think a lot of the bias comes out against women. I mean, to be honest, like the bias yeah. comes out. Um, around gender I think it's really you know very common that they want to say well she's just as violent or get questions like when is she held accountable Mm -hmm. I go wait a second why does she need to be held accountable if she did nothing wrong Mm -hmm. and I think it's just I think it's really challenging for people and people will equate you know one of my favorite examples is, is a was a professional said but her cheating is as bad as his violence. Jesus. From the point of view of child abuse. Excuse and like, me, that's horrible. And the people in the room were, were all shocked <laughs> that they heard this person who actually had a prominent role in an agency sort of make that make that analogy. Yeah. And, and I think part of the challenge is that label of perpetrator. And this is where you get institutional racism and sexism. Right. That the bar for what somebody has to do if they're coming from a group that's oppressed. Right is lower to get labeled as a perpetrator. Right. This is where we get bigger sentences for women in some cases. Right. Uh, even when her male partner did the actual harm, right. that failure to protect yeah. label gets slapped on and she gets a longer sentence than him. Right. And I think it's really sort of this, this idea that she's the perpetrator um, is just so fraught. Um, I remember one study that looked, it was an academic study, they were they were testing college students' attitudes towards responsibility. and and they they did this experiment and and it showed in their minds that that well when you when you present this to to college students they they think that the woman's more responsible or that's co-equal i said well what if you go back and you give them another couple of facts before that and one of the things we'll ask people is what was happening before that incident Mm -hmm. what was each person doing and saying Mm -hmm. you know to get the larger context Right. and and sometimes very quickly that actually gives more more context that lets you go wait a second right there's somebody responding to abuse
0: right because if you're if you're laying on the floor right. and you have a huge man over you screaming and right. spitting in your face right. and calling you a stupid cow and then you kick that person or you slap that person to get away you you know, that's the context, right? And if that happens over and over again, right, where that person is violent that way and it creates a pattern of behavior, we really do have to look to the person who, who began that, that, that whole energy. And that would be the person who's choosing violence.
1: So let's move on to number four. Um, this one is he's stressed out. And I, I love going back and looking at these. There's and say, a lot of that right now right,
0: because of the pandemic. Right that that you know I've seen a lot of professional organizations um, and especially medical organizations say because of stress there's more domestic violence and and stress does obviously uncover what was existing previously so that was probably a household where there was already a level of coercive control happening and now because that person is stretched thinner is more anxious is now engaging in physical violence so it's not a new thing it's just a thing that has been uncovered in a different way
1: right and i think there's there's some data that shows correlation with economic issues and violence
2: Mm
1: -hmm. (coughs) excuse me um and at the same time i think that we have to be you know, what, one of the things it says here in this actually the, the document created is, "is stress doesn't cause abuse." And I think we need to keep that really, again, that simple right. line. Because
0: there's lots of people who are stressed out who don't abuse. Right, other people.
1: that's right. And 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 that and that if if people have a mixture of of fear of anxiety, I mean, when we talk about stress, the stress becomes this catch-all word. I, mm. I don't like the word stress. Right. I much prefer breaking it down to sort of composite experiences you know people are afraid mm-hmm. they're worried mm-hmm. um, they're anxious about things they're, they're exhausted, they're exhausted right. you know all these things and, and and I think when you do that all of a sudden it starts going wait a second so I get to be violent because I'm afraid
0: I get to be violent because I'm exhausted. That's right.
1: Oh, yeah, look at that. We give permission. Look at you, look everybody. You know, and sort of it's sort of once you start going, oh, I get to do that, somehow I'm not responsible for my choices or somehow it, it relieves me of my, my need to be responsible for myself. Right. It's absurd when you sort of break it down that way. Well,
0: I think there's a little bit of an infantilizing of men, and to be honest with you. You know, women can be violent as well. This is real. So it's right. a much smaller subset of the population. Right. right. Um, but I think that there's an infantilizing of men right. where um, we default to a position where men cannot process their feelings well and we give them permission to be violent by nature of their 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 gender and their hormonal reality.
1: Right.
0: And a lot of people still just truly believe that fundamentally men are violent. Right. I don't believe that men are fundamentally violent. Right. I believe that we teach men that it's okay for them to be right. violent And we warp their personalities and we abuse them in a very at a very young age they witness abuse and they witness coercive control and they're taught that they're supposed to be in control
1: well this is i think this is one of the things that we said way back when which is when you say stress is causal right what you miss is that the idea that i'm supposed to be in charge right or i'm entitled to be in charge right. creates stress.
0: Right. I read a great article the other day and it was about um, domestic violence in, in law enforcement. Right. And um, law enforcement has, as, a, as most people in the industry knows, a very big problem with domestic violence. It's estimated that 40% of all law enforcement officers but actually, this was self, self-disclosure, yeah, self-reported, right, which is amazing. So you got to add some points right, to this. Yeah. Self-reported, 40% of, of law enforcement officers self-reported being physically violent to their partner or their child in the last year. Right. And that is stunning. Right. You know, so I think about... That situation, right? And it's it just it blows my mind.
1: Well, I think it's you know when you think about the 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 going from uh, <coughs> ideas of entitlement and privilege to actually stress, and you start thinking about um, that that a lot of people who are abusive actually score fairly high in self esteem mm-hmm. sc- tests. Mm-hmm. I think this myth that goes along with this that this that is it's low self esteem, low, low boundaries. That article that you read the other day that yeah. got you so upset about the. Uh, the uh, what somebody was suggesting survivors do during lockdown, oh which was gosh. sort of like, well, we all know the, the the author or the the expert quote in the article said, we all know that perpetrators of violence have low self esteem and poor boundaries and poor impulse control. And and it was so really playing part- into all the excuses. And so their
0: partner has to reduce the emotional triggers. Trigger. It was oh awful. my God, I it
1: to But it, you know, I think it's really important to understand that when people feel self important, yeah, when they feel uh, self-inflated; their self-esteem is overly high. Right. That that when people don't treat them in their perception the way they deserve to be treated, right,
0: with the respect,
1: th- with the respect, and they feel victimized, and that victimization becomes an excuse to become abusive and controlling, and controlling. And, and I think it's it's I think it's really this this he's stressed out idea is really um, uh, a narrative again in the culture mm. that gives. Uh, people choose violence. A lot of permission, right? And doesn't uh, direct us towards responsibility and accountability.
0: All right. Next one. Next
1: one. His life sucks. <laughs> I can hear John's voice. You know, my old colleagues. Have, his life sucks. He's being oppressed by by his boss, his mother, whomever. This is exactly what it says here. You know, and and and, and
0: this uh, is a, this is a significant conversation uh, for the the reality of. A lot of people who get involved in social services, um, child protection, are because there's more poverty in their families. Because wealthier, whiter families, they're going to get involved with lawyers.
1: Family court, family maybe, court maybe. Mediation. Right? Exactly.
0: right? But the, the, the reality that this person's life sucks and that they're working two jobs, and maybe they're working, you know, a, you know, a midnight shift, and and they've had this really difficult life and really hard life. All of that's real. But then what happens is the partner, the adult partner, whose life also sucks, by right, the way, right, right, exactly, who has probably had the same right. similar subset right. of experiences, um, gets blamed. Or held responsible for the violence of their partner, and the person who chooses that violence, people say, "Oh, that person's life sucks." Oh, they've been they've been harmed by other people. Oh, right. And it's a very very crazy making right. thing for me to witness. Professionals too.
1: I think it's so important to to acknowledge the the reality of institutional cultural forces, whether it's it's. Uh, <coughs> Economics, mm. whether it's cultural or racial mm. discrimination, institutional mm-hmm. racism, colonization, mm-hmm. you know, individual more kind of individualized trauma experiences of, of well, sexual well, abuse, well, or, or as well because right. a
0: lot of child protective systems have basically criminalized poverty, right? With poverty which we created, by the way, right. by our social structures and our right. disregard for human beings. So,
1: so I think it, it's again, it's sort of. Uh, uh, really important to kind of say that um, we have a both and situation. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things is that that my experience is that uh, violence and, 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 and being controlling of others doesn't heal or right those injustices mm-hmm. or fix those right, issues. In right. fact, they detract and compound, and compound them, mm-hmm. you know and, and may make somebody you love who's, who's experienced the same thing like you're saying be further abused um they don't heal your trauma they're not a way to heal your trauma right um they often make you more vulnerable if you're part of a, of a, a discriminated class or group mm-hmm. it, they mm-hmm. may in fact that choice may make you more vulnerable to discrimination, discrimination or being you know institutionally abused if you're going to get arrested and you get police brutality mm-hmm. and um and and so uh I think we need to break the linkages, again, sort of like uh, the both-and thing. We have to think about both that somebody can be a a victim, can experience oppression, and also be choosing violence, and and we can acknowledge the victimization, Mm -hmm. and we also can confront them on the choice to be violent.
0: All right, what's the next one?
1: If he stops his substance abuse, he will stop his violence.
0: Okay, yes, people who believe that domestic violence is... Because of substance abuse or is because of mental health issues?
1: Well, very concretely, I had at one point in my career, I had an entire group of men, you know, eight to 10 of them, who the majority of them um, were people who had been violent, who had substance abuse issues, Mm -hmm. who were actively in recovery. So they're going to AA and NA. They were Mm. deeply committed to the recovery. (laughs) And why they came in, and most of those men came in voluntarily, is they thought their abuse would stop when they stopped drinking. So their self perception was oh this causes that Mm -hmm. and uh and it didn't stop Mm -hmm. it may have softened some of the edges of it there may have been less physical violence Mm -hmm. but they absolutely were being controlling were being abusive were still being violent Mm -hmm. and and one of the great things about working with them was they had a they had a a framework of oh you have to keep working at issues and you don't you know you don't just stop and Mm -hmm. and this is a this is a process and Um, But that was one example. I work with men who stopped, got abstinent. You know, they weren't necessarily in a fuller recovery program, but they actually got more controlling because now they were like, I've got to clean up my past, and you've got to go along with this. And I lost all this money, and I've got to pay back my debts. And now all of a sudden I'm I'm criticizing your parenting where I didn't have time to pay attention to the kids at all. Mm -hmm. Now I'm criticizing... And so you get survivors in those cases saying things like, I liked you better when you were drinking.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I know some stories about, um, or, okay, I'm familiar with the reality of, of humans who have been had big conversions as well. So right. there's a religious experience, one right. of these as well. Um, and that's been the basis of, oh, I'm, I'm healed from this. Right. But then the religion and that energy is used as a course of control That's to continue right. to control survivors. Well, and
1: this is what people need to track, which is sort of how uh, it's still about. You can't get mesmerized or distracted by the fact. Oh, he's he's sober. You need to say, okay, does she have r- more room to maneuver, or voice her her uh, her needs or experiences? Or the kids have more experience and. Uh, one of the things we would say to men in our program is they come into the group and say it's not working because she's she's angrier with me than ever before, <laughs> and we go well maybe maybe that's a good sign and right. they didn't like hearing that right maybe does she feels safer to express her anger with you right that that's a good sign that you're actually becoming more maybe trustworthy all
0: those years of abuse she's right. she's feeling the anger of what you did right. to her and now you you have this being accountable means being able to to sit there and, and listen to that right and, 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 and absorb it.
1: And I think one of the things that's that really um when you look at people who work a twelve step program mm. you know the place where they they inventory their the their the things they've done to hurt other people uh, and then make amends if it won't hurt them you know otherwise right mm-hmm. all those those steps I think those have a real relevance in a lot of cases for people who are abusive because mm-hmm. You need to acknowledge the harm. You can't just be like, Mm -hmm. oh, we're in the past. That's the past. Don't bring it up. And you
0: also have to accept and professionals have to accept because I see a lot of professionals not accepting that survivors don't have to forgive their perpetrators. That's right. right. We we are not compelled to forgive anybody. And yet court systems will 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 try to force that sort of like, no, you have to. You know, we sometimes there's a place where it's like, I'm sorry, you did this to me for years. And you have not shown any remorse or any willingness right. that, except for the fact that we're physically separated, right. you would be continuing to do this. And maybe you're continuing to do this even though we are physically separated. Right. So don't don't push survivors to forgive if there's no, if they're not ready to. Right. Even. And so
1: the simple issue is somebody may have an issue with substances, and that that is needs to be addressed if that's right. true. Somebody chooses violence also uses drugs. Mm-hmm. But if we're looking at uh, ending the course of control, mm-hmm. then that needs to be measured and, and dealt with independently or mm-hmm. alongside the substance issues, and there cannot be an assumption that if automatically if somebody stops drinking or doing drugs,
0: that it was situational th- violence that they're that, that right. they're they're
1: automatically going to become right. less violent. Right. Now I would say that that if there is a real addiction issue, that is a, a prerequisite for them to change in a consistent and permanent way. And prerequisite doesn't mean that has to come first, Mm -hmm. but just means it's hard to imagine somebody who still is getting high Mm -hmm. or is still using substances in a a destructive way being able to manage their choices in a way that makes other people feel safe. Right. You know, and... And, and so that's really critical. All
2: right, next one.
1: All right, so this sounds like it's in the same area, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Anger is an addiction.
0: Oh, I can believe that. Uh, anger is also an emotion, by the way, for all the people who say that right. uh, that uh, they're not emotional, but they defer to
1: anger. Right, exactly. And, and I think this idea is, is trying to throw an addiction framework on abuse Mm -hmm. in in another way which is trying to kind of co-op this language of it's it's a biological experience it it produces certain chemicals in your Mm -hmm. body you get you get addicted to it you have no control i mean you can sort of you can throw out all these phrases this person's out of control they lost their temper um and, and I think this is kind of the variation because there's no other version so gonna, of he's I'm, lost his temper I'm here. I'm going to
0: push back on that notion just a little bit okay. and a little bit of discomfort with the with the, the languaging and the, the terminology. And that is I, I, I do feel that it is dangerous to frame perpetrators as addicted to anger because a lot of that could lead into um, dismissing the choices that are involved and also then blaming victims for not accommodating those people. And that was the language that we were reading in um, that one article that we both found very horrific, which I'm going to name came out of a mediation framework, but basically was like, if you're a victim living with your, with your abuser and they don't even use the word abuse. No, I can't. It's high conflict. Right, Right, right then it's your job to manage their emotional triggers. That's right. It's your job to reduce their stress. It's your job. And I'm like, this is insane. And that's what some of that can lead to. Well, this
1: is why I, this is meant to be a, a statement of like how you can collude and that not being right. good is right. is to start thinking through this lens of, of it, it's an addiction, right. he has no control, right. he loses temper. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I can't tell you how many men I worked with um, almost all of them, but not every single one, that when you got them to talk about what they did mm. and the and their internal processes leading up to it, mm-hmm. um, one is they could describe a lot of what they were thinking and feeling, and you could see the choices they make. Mm-hmm. There was a tremendous amount of choice-making. And so one example is uh, I'd list to a guy talking about, well, we were having an argument. I didn't like what she was saying. I was calling her names. So I was mm-hmm. doing this. But then I walked away. It's okay. And then what happened? Because the episode didn't stop there. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't want to feel like a punk was what a lot of guys would say.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't want to feel like I lost to her. I didn't want to feel like mm-hmm. I, I was, um, really sort of having mm-hmm. her win. Mm-hmm. And so, so this thing around sort of it, it's an addiction. Again, is another way to imply that this person's out of control over all mm-hmm. this stuff mm-hmm. and so um so really when we talk about this it's really uh, all about sort of not allowing the narrative to be framed as oh somehow this person has no choices right. in their behavior Right. I think they all kind of point back into the same uh, so way. i so
0: relieved. I thought I thought that Nova had had slipped into the no the addiction no. framework. No, no, a little concerned for you. No, that, no, it? that, that you, isn't what happened. You, you totally pulled yourself out of that. Yes, thank Jack.
1: you. Um, the 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 eighth one. You know, two more to go. It's it's a problem in the family system. Yeah. And
0: this is, this is it's a relationship problem. That's right. Yeah,
1: and and there are a lot of people. Families are complex. Definitely, there mm-hmm. are are dynamics, interactions with people that sort of feed on each other and kind of, you know, sort of that, that people can have habits and patterns.
0: Well, you know, I think we're funny as a society in the, in, the, in the sense that, you know, even you and I will say, well, we have a good dynamic. Right. Well, well, really, if you were to break that down to behaviors, we don't abuse each other and we support each other and, and we trust each other and we collaborate with each other. Uh, that's a good dynamic, but those th- are choices. That but we underneath
1: make. that, right underneath that, there are choices each of us make separately. Right to manage our, our own, own our own behaviors and our own feelings right. and our own needs and sense of boundaries and. So I think I
0: think we've really slipped into this um, unconsciousness surrounding relationships and and how people do really have choices. Are there other dynamics? Are there people that are more? Um, Capable of living together in peace. Yes, but that must also mean that there are behaviors in the relationship From one party or both parties that are problematic that cause a lot of conflict Right and those behaviors can either be just right. low-level right sort of selfishness and right and you know Disinterest in in engaging in the bids of your partner, right? And then they can cross over into places where somebody's really choosing abusive behaviors, right and that's not a dynamic. Right. That's, that's a, a choice. That's
1: a choice. And I, we'd always say guys would come to the group and, and they would uh, uh, say horrible things about their partners and say how awful she was. And, mm-hmm. and we'd say, well, if she's so horrible, why do you want to be with her? And they would get like, well, you know, they wanted to paint her poorly. But they didn't want to take responsibility for their own choices and decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They wanted everybody to see her negatively so it would deflect from from looking at him and his behavior. Mm -hmm. And so we would constantly bring it back to, you know, what's your choices? What's your behavior? What do you have control over? Mm -hmm. And we'd be really clear that as long as he would say that well, it was her behavior that made me do it, Mm -hmm. then we'd say, uh, so then you're in real danger of doing it again because you're telling me that the choice to get violent is not in your control right. and so therefore i should believe yeah that you're not safe because you're you're saying i'm vulnerable to everybody else's behavior i and,
0: can't and control myself
1: i can't in the control face of everybody else's, else's behavior. behavior and therefore that somehow both right. uh, well, i should be absolved of responsibility but two yeah i'm going to do it again right because i'm not i'm not presenting the 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 sense of where control is in me i'm presenting it in in Everybody else, I'm a good guy mm-hmm. I would be this way if other people weren't like the way they were
2: right
0: it's 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 the excuses right and it's pretty common okay and so one. the family system idea
1: okay. you know is is is, is uh, uh, doesn't really work when you get to level of, of abuse and control
0: right and it is a big mistake for particularly um, uh, licensed professional counselors or psychologists or psychiatrists to mistake domestic violence for relationship issues. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have the last one coming up here. That's
1: right, and the last one is, uh, he's sorry and he's really trying hard. And then the subtext, the text underneath that says, the only way to really say you're sorry is, is to end the abuse. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I would always talk to survivors about, uh, they would say things like, well, he's sorry, or he, he's crying, or he's upset. And I would say okay I I hear that you know what makes you believe his behavior is gonna be different going forward Mm -hmm. you know what has he shown you and they always say he's sorry I go okay I hear that has he ever said he's sorry before well he has and then did he get violent again yes Mm -hmm. so based on that his pattern you know that that sorry doesn't translate into change and I think professionals often make that that mistake too that he feels bad doesn't equal behavior change automatically.
0: Well, there's a couple of underlying things that are going on, and that is is is, and it's it's funny because it's a real push pull in people's, uh, you know, perceptions and the way that they treat both a, a person who's choosing violence and a victim, and that is is that we're taught that preserving marriages is a benefit, a net benefit, and a net value to children. That working at relationships is a net benefit and a net value in relationship. Um, That we're supposed to be forgiving. That we're supposed to be, you know, when somebody comes to us and says, "I'm sorry," that we have to accept it. Right. And we're really conditioned with that from a very early age.
1: Right.
0: Instead of being conditioned to say, if somebody harms you and they don't stop harming you, right, they're actually not sorry. Right. They're still choosing to do the same thing, and you don't have to forgive them. Right. What does that look like? What that looks like is is absolutely being able to stand in right. the reality that it is better for you to leave or not be in that situation and not have that person treat you that way and not be imposed upon by them. And that's also right. it has to be their choice, right? right? But it's not better for you to endlessly work at a relationship where somebody's doing the same damaging things over and over again. It's not better to preserve um, a marriage or a family where one partner is being violent and coercively controlling because it teaches children that it's okay for that to happen, that that's a normal relationship dynamic and then they go on and they repeat the same behaviors because they were taught
2: them. Right.
0: And maybe they weren't even just taught them. Thou- those behaviors were, were supported and shored up by systems which said, okay, dad, you can keep doing this, or okay, person who's choosing violence, you can keep doing this, and we're gonna give you custody, right. and we're gonna, we're gonna protect you and allow your behavior to continue. That's what a child sees.
1: this is why we we did that white paper a few months ago which said perpetrator intervention program certificates of completion are dangerous and the Mm -hmm. real focus was how do we create a shared language where we say Mm -hmm. that real change looks like the person naming the behaviors have been harmful Mm
2: -hmm.
1: acknowledge that they did them Mm -hmm. claiming the harm Mm -hmm. you know which is really means listening and understanding what's happened to others because of their behavior Mm And then, you know, uh, making real change in their behaviors. and right. You know, and that, that we want that information to go out to everybody so survivors can look and go, wait a second.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You crying, you being upset that you got caught, you got in trouble, that mm-hmm. I, I left you, um, threatening suicide maybe because, right. you know, hurt yourself or telling me how much you love me and, and how much, you know, you can't live without me. Then none of those things equal greater safety or behavior right. change. And
0: even if it's a, a level of, of self shame and navel gazing, which is like oh i'm such a bad parent
1: yeah but
0: then not changing the behaviors that's right and expecting the victim to to um manage and be the empathizer and the healer of that situation right and and that's a really common reaction by people who choose violence as well that they can dip down into these places of shame and and i always knew that when when abusers that I grew up with or abusers that I knew dipped down into that shame place, I always knew that I was I was really like there was there was a higher level of danger right. for me there, right. um, and right. and so that that shame uh, place made me deeply uncomfortable, and then that that person would respond to my lack of response in the right. way that they wanted me well, to respond because it was and then they would continue to right. abuse
1: because it, it was it was still about their needs not about you having the room to to maneuver and respond the way that felt good in your body or right. your response to it. this is not okay or I feel bad for you and I need you to step up I as a parent. I feel bad
0: for you, and I don't trust you. That's right, because you, know. you haven't you haven't been trustworthy. Right, you right. haven't changed your behaviors.
1: Right. So this is this is the nine ways to collude with abusive men that we've been running through, and it's and it's a it's a piece of ancient history that is still valuable, I think, today. Mm. And uh, you know, I really want to acknowledge my my colleagues uh, um, at the Nonviolence Alliance who helped develop this, and we used it, and we used it in our work, mm. and we used it in our training. And it's still valuable today to really think about how do I not get caught mm-hmm. in in these cultural narratives that are sort of this is why we should let somebody who chooses violence off the hook whether you're a professional whether mm-hmm. you're a survivor uh, if you're somebody who's choosing violence and you're listening to this you know say wait a second what have I which of these have I said actually right. and played off of and maybe I need to look at that and say wait a second uh, I'm not going to use those anymore you mm-hmm. know I think that's really important mm-hmm. so. We hope this has been useful for you. Um, If you um, have ideas for future podcasts, email them to us through the website, Mm -hmm. safeandtogetherinstitute.com. If you want to extend your learning, um, check out some of the other podcasts or go to our virtual academy, academy academy.safeandtogetherinstitute.com. Into.com, and and otherwise you can follow us and like us on facebook and twitter and mm-hmm. instagram which we have an instagram feed right Which you oh uh,
0: we we do not actually uh, we don't we don't <laughs> we may but we, it's not well used. not well used see that's right.
1: even our communications manager doesn't know if we have an yeah, exactly. instagram feed sorry <laughs> sorry so anyway um so really uh, we want to be in dialogue with you and um we're yes. um we continue to be partnered with a survivors so
0: and so be safe and be well and we're out till next out. time
1: so next time